Today's show is brought to you by HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code RECOVERYFRESH30, that's all one word, to save $30 off your first week of deliveries. Recovery Elevator, episode 142. All of these things, just you look back on them, they're, they're all small decisions, but you look back on them sort of in totality and you're like, what in the F am I doing, right? Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for 1,147 days. On today's podcast, we've got David. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. He's been sober for 42 days at the time of the recording, and he talks about his time during drinking as a sort of management of chaos. I love that description, David. It's a great interview. Stay tuned. On November 10th, Recovery Elevator, the registration opens for the retreat in Peru, more specifically Cusco, Urubamba, the Sacred Valley. We are going to do the 38-mile Inca Trail. This is a bucket list trip. If you haven't done this one before, it is amazing, and we're going to do it with other like-minded individuals. I've done this trip twice. We do volunteer work at orphanages. We're going to do some community outreach with the local communities about alcohol, some alcohol information, education, awareness, and things like that. It's going to be awesome. Okay, let's get started. From episode 000, I have made it clear that this podcast has zero affiliation with Alcoholics Anonymous, otherwise known as AA. However, that's what I want to cover today, more specifically the first step. After doing the podcasts, which is now 142 weeks, it's 142 episodes, I've had in-person conversations, email, dialogue with a lot of my listeners, and I understand that the majority of them have never set foot into an AA meeting. Now, at this moment, I've got over three years of sobriety. I've got kind of a love-hate relationship with AA, but you got to take what you want and leave the rest, and fortunately, I'm able to take what I like. And the worst part about AA is the people. And that's a direct quote from my sponsor. But again, you just take what you want and leave the rest. And it's a great program. I don't think I would be sober without AA. I don't think I'd be sober without this podcast. I don't know which one's more important. I don't care to find out. I really don't. But I know with a lot of listeners, the instant they hear the word AA, they want to run the other direction. But I want to tell you that AA doesn't bite. It's not scary. It's an opportunity. It's not a sacrifice of an hour of your day, and it can be a lot of fun. And if you go to AA, do you have to fully dive in? Well, you hear the phrase, half measures avail us nothing. Well, that's actually true, but I've never met anybody that's gone to AA and from day one just given it full bore. No, I think everybody, including myself, gives it half measures. And I disagree. I think half measures gives us about half results. Unfortunately, half results doesn't keep anybody sober. So let's cover step one. What is it? First off, the steps in general, there's 12 of them. It's something you're going to work through with a sponsor. They will lead you through these steps. And it's supposed to cover why we drink. We've all heard alcohol is but a symptom. And that's what the 12 steps sets out to address. The alcoholism. A lot of us have untreated alcoholism in the physical, mental, and spiritual realm. Okay, step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. So here's the good news with that step. Seven of the 12 steps have a direct or indirect reference to God, and this one doesn't. 
So if your hiccup with AA is, uh, I can't really get over the God thing, then you got nothing on this step. So let's break down this step. Let's look at the first word, we, right there. There's a lot of meaning in that, we. I've been beating that drum since day one. This is a community. We cannot do this alone. Next word, admitted. Recovery Elevator, episode 48 is the mirror test. We admitted, we looked ourselves in the mirror and became honest with ourselves. The whole foundation of step one is based on honesty. And we must become honest with ourselves first before we can move forward. When we admit to ourselves and we're honest with ourselves, we can finally realize we've been living a life in an alternative reality for so long. And we realize we've had enough. We can look at ourselves and finally say, now what? Let's pretend it's like our car is in a ditch. We can step outside of our car, look at it and say, okay, my car is in a ditch. Now what? We don't get behind the wheel and envision ourselves suddenly at cost cutters or something like that. No, our car is still in the ditch. We realize with alcohol that our life is in a ditch and we have fully moved in furniture and all into that ditch. Okay, we admitted we were powerless. Now, I want to be clear that powerless does not mean weak. Alcoholism is not a sign of weak character. It is not a moral failing. I'm going to say that again. Alcoholism is not a sign of weak character or a sign of immoral failing. None of the above. Powerless. We have no control over alcohol. There's no coincidence that I've asked 142 people, have there been any rules you've put in place with your drinking? That's basically me asking them, have you tried to control your drinking? And I've done it myself, and I failed to control my drinking along with 142 other people. I was powerless. I had zero control over alcohol and I had to finally admit that. So ironically, there's so much power in this step when we admit we are powerless. Pretty cool stuff. So what are we powerless over? Well, we're powerless over alcohol. And what is alcohol? It's the most dangerous drug on the planet. This kills more people than all the other drugs combined. We're talking over 3 million people worldwide. It's not like we're powerless over gummy bears, wicks or square dancing. No, we are powerless over a highly addictive drug that can strike down anybody. It does not discriminate. Step one is about not getting back up, not getting back into the ring with alcohol, getting your ass kicked one final time and staying down. Do you think people call a gazelle a coward when it runs away from lions? Hell no. Alcohol is a vicious pack of lions and we're not going to win that battle. Sorry to break it to you. And hey, that fight, alcohol, it's always going to be in that ring waiting for you. Let's look at the second part of step one, that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, my first sponsor, he told me that he replaced lives with mind had become unmanageable. And at first, yeah, my life had become unmanageable. But towards the end, my mind had also become unmanageable. I could not control my mind. I could not control my thoughts, my actions when I was under the influence of alcohol. The word become, our lives had slowly, painfully become. That is the progression of this disease. And the problem with alcohol is it kills in the millimeters. Other drugs such as meth, cocaine, heroin, and crack, those will kill a little faster. But with alcohol, it kills us slowly and painful and our lives slowly become unmanageable. And let's look at that word unmanageable. 
at the beginning of this podcast episode, I talk about how David in his interview, he says when he was drinking, it was like a management of chaos. Chaos, I don't know the definition of that off the top of my head, but chaos cannot be managed. We find our lives when we are trying to control everything. And for more on control, read the big book, pages 63 to 67. That's got a great description of how we try to control everything, and it just never works out. The one reason I like step one is because it's tied to the pain of drinking. Do not succumb to the ism. That's the incredible short memory. And I mean never, never, ever, ever say you got this because those are the three most dangerous words an alcoholic can say. So this step is your foundation into recovery without fully believing in this step. And again, you don't have to believe in a higher power yet. So you can't use that excuse here. This step is the foundation and insert a bunch of lame metaphors how you can't build a palace on feeble and weak sand, whatever. I can't think of any metaphors right now off the top of my head, but you get the point. You need to have fully mastered this step before you can move forward to step two. Now, a lot of you guys, you might have already mastered this step without even realizing it. And if you're listening to podcasts, if you're emailing me and things like that, you're well on your way through step one. Again, this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. They want to make cooking more fun so you can focus on the whole experience and not just the final plate. HelloFresh currently offers customers a classic box, a veggie box, and a family box. Customers can order three, four, or five different meals per week designed for either two or four people. New recipes are created every week. Their recipes will make you feel unstoppable, and your taste buds will simply thank you. In six easy-to-master steps, they get you chopping, zesting, and cooking like a natural because most of our recipes take just 30 minutes and require minimal equipment and effort. I'm no kitchen guru myself, but when HelloFresh sent me a sample of stuff, I was dicing, I was chopping, I was cooking, I was preheating, I was baking, all the above, and actually it was really cool. Best part about it, I didn't get drunk while doing it. It's a great thing to do to take your mind off the booze and nutrition is vital in early recovery and this stuff is really healthy. Again, go to HelloFresh.com, use the promo code RECOVERYFRESH30 for $30 off your first week of deliveries. Okay, enough out of me. David, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, David, great to have you on. Let's get right to it. David, when was your last drink? My last drink was somewhere around midnight of August 13th. So I count August 14th as my my sober day. Nice job. Congratulations on that. And give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, do you have a family? And David, what do you like to do for fun? Okay. First and foremost, I'm a dad of two great boys. I've got an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old, and a lot of what I do revolves around them. We live in Atlanta. I work for a large software company, and I've been there a long time, which is a little bit of an anomaly in the technology world, but I've done consulting, I've done engineering, I've done account management, I've run large services teams, so I've done a bunch of different things uh, at this company that's helped me stay fresh there. On the personal level, I'm 42, I'm divorced, although I like to say I'm single, (laughs) Uh, for fun. I'm busy with boy activities. We do, uh, there's a lot of baseball, I help coach basketball, my younger one plays soccer. Both of them are in scouts, so there's a lot of that activity going on. And for my personal time, uh, probably my number one hobby is playing guitar. So I love to play guitars, collect guitars. 
I'm a CrossFit nut job, so I'm one of those guys. I, I definitely enjoy going to the gym. I love the community there. I uh, love pushing myself there. But then CrossFit enables all of the other things that I like to do, which usually is getting outside, getting off grid, so hiking and backpacking. I don't run as much as I used to, but I certainly love trail running when I get an opportunity to, to do that. So that's what I like to do for fun. And David, I'm glad you mentioned guitar because listeners, I met David in person at the Recovery Elevator Retreat. In fact, he was interviewed on the panel about three or four episodes ago, and I wanted to get the full gamut, the full story from David. That's why I invited him back on the podcast. And we had a talent show at the retreat, and David, you are a songbird, my friend. We were uh, enamored and enthralled with your guitar playing skills, and we are all a talented lot, but you, my friend, excel at the guitar, so I hope... We will have more talent shows in the future, and you attend more Recovery Elevator retreats. In fact, you just told me in an email the other day, I'm going to hold you accountable to this, that you're going to Peru. Can you, uh, can you bring a guitar with you to Peru? Probably not. i got vintage guitars that have you know, animal parts on them that don't make it through customs, so we'll have to find something down there, but I'm sure we can find something good. Okay, that, that can work. We'll, uh, we'll go to a flea market, and I'll buy you like a $38 guitar. Exactly. And, um, It'll be great. And we can take it on the mountain, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll do a sacrifice uh, with the guitar at the end <laughs> of the trip. It's going to be great. Sweet. Well, let's, uh, let's get to the goods, man. Let's talk, about, let's talk about some alcohol. And when did you first realize that perhaps uh, you didn't drink normally, David? <laughs> I have several memories of sort of self-identifying or at least self-questioning my drinking and my drinking habits. And it goes back... You know, probably goes back a decade or more, honestly. Um, I remember I was running with a friend. Uh, we were training for some half marathons. We had a string of half marathons we were participating in. And he was a recovering al- alcoholic. So, you know, this was not um, a foreign concept to me at the time. And I kind of tossed out a softball on a run and I said, you know, I bet I would have a better time if I drank less. Very much a softball way of kind of coming out to this friend who I knew had been through that process. And, you know, that, that goes back, I mean, that's maybe 12 or 14 years ago at this point. So I've got, you know, definite, you know, sort of milestones in my life where I did question. Of course, I've done, I've questioned it on several birthdays. This recent bout really was around um, sort of numerology. I kind of like, I like dumb combinations of numbers. And it just struck me one day that 42 years old is twice the drinking age. And isn't it about time that I hang this up, right? Isn't it about time? that I stop questioning, right, do I drink too much and just admit to myself that I do. So, you know, I think that sort of, that sort of kick in the butt um, combined with really a little bit of a low, right? So I think, you know, you know, referencing your title of the elevator, when it was, when it was the elevator sort of a little bit too low for you, you know, I'd gotten into this, obviously it was sort of a drink, you know, drink while cooking dinner, drink after dinner, tell myself not to drink if I had my boys with me. Uh, of course, I'd, I would fail that rule. And at some point uh, in the last year or so, you know, I realized, you know, I'm out of booze and my boys are totally asleep, right? It's like 9.30 on a Sunday night. They're already old enough. We're already in the habit of, you know, me leaving them at home by themselves for short stints of time, very short stints of time. But I'm like, well, I could make another short stints of time a run to the, to the, to the liquor sure. store. And so I did that. I realized that the calculations of essentially sneaking out like you're a high schooler, these were all the wrong things, right? Turn the headlights off when I leave the driveway, turn them back on when I hit the street, drive to the store, <laughs> yeah. hope that, you know, hope, hope that uh, they're not awake when I come back, heart racing around that particular fact, turning off the headlights when you come back up the driveway. All of these things, just you look back on them, they're, they're all small decisions, but you look back on them sort of in totality and you're like, what in the F am I doing, right? 
So after, I only did this a handful of times, right? Luckily, I only did it a handful of times. But one of the, the, the last one was I came back, and they were standing in the front yard with my next-door neighbors. Ooh. And that, that heart, your heart just sinks right at that moment. You're like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. And that was our emergency plan. They did exactly the right thing. If, the, if something's weird, if I'm not here, you go to the next-door neighbors. And it was 9, almost 10 o'clock or something. They went to the next-door neighbors. I drive up. They're all standing there. I, I played it off as well as I could. You know, the neighbors were very gracious and just kind of said good night. No problem, right? Oh, give, me, was, give me the story. What would you, you tell the neighbors? Oh, I, you know, I probably just told them, oh, I was just doing some grocery shopping. Yeah, I totally, totally gave them a white lie, you know, something to just kind of paper over the situation and, and to move on. They didn't, they didn't see what I bought. I was in my car at the time. But, sure. you know, it was sort of a what can I say to make this whole thing go away situation right now. Yeah. And just, you know, really that was kind of the – there was a self-reflection moment. probably happened the next day, but it was just I am – way off track of where I need to be. And that, that was, you know, that was kind of one of those, there, there were a couple moments I said earlier, right? My life revolves around a lot of what they do. They're my pride and joy. And I, you know, just the self-flagellation and the shame and the regret and everything that came with that particular event, you know, it, it sort of triggered this, this uh, about a year long process I've been in of trying to get sober. Right. And then ultimately having some success with it recently. You've had a lot of success with it recently. Congratulations on stamping that date of August 14th. You've got a great amount of time to build upon. But let's back it up a little bit. When you kind of lobbed that softball out to your friend who was already in recovery, hey, I think if I slowed down my drinking, I think things would be better. What was his response? You know, I, I don't recall that. I think it was more of a, you know, a, huh, yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, I think, <laughs> you know, honestly, I may, have, I may have done the exact same thing. I may have cracked a joke right after that in order to paper over the situation and to move on. I don't remember exactly, but that is that would have been my MO, would be to lob a softball and then to do whatever I could to get out of that uncomfortable moment. So that's, that's probably what happened there. Gotcha. And one of my favorite quotes from the Recovery Elevator Retreat came from you. And you said uh, that you always lapped the pace car, if I remember correctly. And uh, explain what that meant for you and give us a time when you freaking lapped the pace car. Interesting you remembered that. In college, I had, uh, I was not a fraternity party, you know, I was not a fraternity guy, right? Let's just suffice it to say. So I had, a, I had a, a good group, a small group of very tight friends that kind of hung out outside of that scene. And around my junior year, senior year maybe, one of them, you know, had an apartment and we would hang out. I mean, we would go out on the town, we would do whatever, but eventually end back up right at his apartment. One of the guys had become a bartender over the summer. Cue margaritas <laughs> and, uh, and some vicious hangovers. But, you know, at the time, there, w there was sort of a shared discussion where we said, man, you know, we're drinking a lot. So maybe we need to instit institute a rule, right? I think this is one of the questions you always ask, right? Have you ever put any rules in yeah. place? And so one of them was, guys, we are only drinking a six-pack tonight. That's what we're doing. And, of course, they would be on their second beer, and I was on finishing up my fifth beer. And that, the, the, so the whole, like, lapping the pace car came from my friends who said, Dave, you better slow down. You're lapping the pace car. And I'd say, you know, I'd, I'd probably say, no worries. I've got, I've got this. And I remember, you know, more times than not, I'd be in the, the, the 8 to 10 beer range by the end of the evening, which, by the way, if we didn't have the six-pack rule in place and if I didn't have the shaming of the lapping the pace car in place, it might have been 14 to 20 beers, right? Yeah. So 
on some level it was less, but the lapping the pace car definitely that was a college thing from these two good, you know two specific friends of mine. It's always stuck in my head, right? Of sort of just just an indicator that maybe I didn't I didn't pay attention to it in that way back then. It was it was a joke. It was part of our camaraderie that we shared together, you know, as we were all best friends in school. But you know, you look back on it, and, you, and there's some there's a dark side to that statement as well. Right. So uh, just kind of be cognizant of I might lap the pace car when I do this activity. Right. So maybe I need to maybe I need to not do the activity. I don't think that there's a throttle that gets me back in line behind the pace car. So. <laughs> I think that'd be called the brake, And that's no fun to hit the brake when when you started drinking, right. especially, you know, we alcoholics. Yeah. And that's something I used to do. I lap the pace car all the time. And it, it used to take a lot of pride in that for a while until it definitely backfired. Q episodes zero to up to now. But yeah, let's let's fast forward a little bit to that year-long journey. You said you came back into the driveway, you flip the, flip the lights on, you see your kids with your neighbor, and you said that was kind of the catalyst, the impetus to start this journey into sobriety. And again, that sounds like a painful moment, but these painful moments are what spur the change. And that window to make that change is only there for a short amount of time. But Dave, good on you. You walked through that window and you started this change in sobriety. What was that year like for you? And what you would know, describe like the first attempt, the second attempt, and what happened after that? Yeah. So the the, the process has been that you know again I, I I decided that you know now is the time I've got I've got to do something. I you know really looked. I mean I literally looked in the mirror. I looked at my pseudo bloodshot eye bag eyes and just said you know you are just, the cognitive dissonance is just killing you right. But I had zero ability to figure out how to do this other than through sheer willpower, right? And that doesn't work, as you've proven over and over yeah. again, and I would be just another data point on that chart for you. But, of course, I tried willpower at first, but then I found your podcast. So, you know, when I came through my divorce, that was my first time of sort of reaching out to a podcast to say, is there something out there where I might be able to hear something with some sort of um, frequency that might help calm me down or help me think about things a little differently. I had success in that process. And so the second time around when it came to drinking uh, and wanting to quit drinking, you know, I did the whole Apple iTunes search for, you know, alcohol uh, recovery type podcast years popped up. So at that year, at that point, right at roughly around a year ago, that's when I engaged your podcast. You know, I think I had a road trip up to Virginia. So I had a six hours there and a six hours back. And I just, you know, I just burned right through 14 or 15 of your episodes right there. But I didn't come home and it didn't stick, right? I didn't listen to one on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. You know, I didn't keep plowing through it. So my drinking, or I should say my attempts at sobriety over the past year have followed that same pattern. I, 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 my analogy is like a rock skipping over a lake. You know, it was two days clean, one day drinking, four days clean, one day drinking, one day clean, five days drinking, mm-hmm. rinse and repeat, right? It's just kind of a, I never could quite get past that three to five day mark. And, you know, honestly, it was, uh, you know, I, I never really said that I was physically dependent on alcohol. I've read and I've listened and I've heard about the shakes and I've read about the heart palpitations. And, I, you know, I, I don't think that I had any of that. I, re- I really don't. I mean, there may have been a, a tinge of it, but I, I didn't have that. But I was absolutely emotionally dependent on alcohol. The numbing effect, the feeling of it, right, that, that sort of that initial that initial rush of it, but then the numbing. The numbing was really what I was after. And I think that it was just the efforts, right? So you, it was just by day three, there was an effort feeling, or day four, or day one, or whatever it was. That's what I was really combating over the past year. 
And I just went through that cycle a lot. And, you know, I shared with you in Bozeman that at some point I, again, I was still playing the numbers, right? So I was like, well, wait a minute. It's February 15th of 2017 and 215 adds up to 17. So it's like 17, 17. That's kind of a cool number to date yeah, my day. <laughs> right. And and then, so I'd reset my sobriety tracker app and then it was okay. Shit. It's April 13th. And, you know, <laughs> and so I was kind of doing dumb stuff like that. Just anything to grasp onto a finger hold that said, you've got to do something different. And then eventually the Bozeman retreat appeared uh, on my radar and I signed up for that. And I had, longer bouts of success uh, sort of after the Bozeman sign-up, right? I bet you could go find my receipt for when I paid, and I bet that the number, the date, is some number that adds up to something cool, by the way. Um, but <laughs> that particular day, I remember you know, sitting at my t- you know, kitchen table, and it was one of those, you know, God, I need something different. There, there's got to be a different fork in the road that I can take because the road I'm on is you know, it's not, I'm not going backwards necessarily, but I am certainly going sideways and I've got to figure out a different path. So I signed up for that retreat and I had better success. I had 10, or I'm sorry, sevens and nines and sixes. That was kind of my average at this point. And then finally I got to the point where I was just like, man, I just, this retreat's coming up and I'm not, I'm not fulfilling this whole, you know, you've got to have some sobriety under your belt statement that was around the, 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 the retreat. And so i I wanted to understand exactly, like, what is the bare bones minimum requirement to get in there? <laughs> you know, am I, have, I, have I met yeah. that standard? And, you know, I, so I was able to come into the retreat with 10 days, which was huge because I'm not sure that I'd ever hit 10 days in years, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that early sobriety for me was really, there was a little bit of, uh, I'll call it white knuckling to get into the, to, to get into the retreat. But then I had you know four days at the retreat plus another three or four days with a good friend of mine, this running partner, by the way, who uh, this guy I ran with all those years ago. He now lives in Bozeman. So I had the four days of the retreat. I had another four days hanging out with him in Bozeman. So I had this nice like wall of sober days where the days were filled and there was no absolutely no question around drinking or being susceptible to my efforts or anything like that. So by the time I knew what had hit me, I was almost at 20 days, right? And then at day 30, one of the retreat people reached out to me and said, you know, how does it feel? You're at day 30, your first month. That's awesome. And I said, well, you know what? For for the first time in this entire process, which whether that's been a decade, I'm not sure if I define that as a decade or the last year or the last 46 days or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, for the first time in the process, I, you know, I, I told her, I said, I'm identifying myself as a non-drinker there's a very palpable feeling and sense and a, I'll say a calm within myself where I feel like a page has been turned. And so that was a huge sort of morning meditation for me on that 30th or 31st day, whatever it was, where I just said, I am at peace with this. And it's a, just a very different, you know, it is a very different plane that I'm on right now. And again, the 10 days leading into the, I called the, I called the retreat, the rocket fuel. And uh, that just, that just gave me a boost. Now I'm obviously I'm wary of the future. Uh, I probably need some more rocket fuel at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it was, it was just a, it, it's been a very good journey to this, whatever it is, 40, 40 some, 46 days. It's been a very good journey and it's been smooth mostly in this window. Right. But I, there was a year up to that of just day ones right? Just so many day ones, so many times that I reset the counter 
uh, on the app. I've even seen on Cafe RE that you know some people have asked maybe, hey, could we get rid of that reset counter? Uh, when I, of course, I being a being an alcoholic-minded brain, I figure out a, and a technology guy, I figured out that you can just delete the app and reinstall it, and the counter's <laughs> blown away. I figure you just um, put tape on your iPhone on that spot. That's, that's what I would <laughs> do. Right, yeah, right on that spot. Yeah, so. You know, I, I would just say that, you know, I've been through that day one, day one, day one. I see it on Cafe RE these days. You know, we had a rash of them recently, and I, feel, I just, you know, my heart goes out to all those people because I know exactly what that feels like. And people have different reasons for why they are at the day one. Mine was clearly the efforts and sort of a, hey, it's Sunday night, Game of Thrones is on, let's party, right? Effort, you know, hey, I just did, I just did great work with, you know, some volunteer organization, effort. You know, so that that was the to me that was the, the the obstacle I had to get over, and I failed it so many times. And then, you know, I feel like I, I feel like I'm beyond it, and it and it feels feels great. David, there's about a hundred things I want to comment on what you just said, but I'm only going to comment on a few. Number one, you said you know you weren't so much physically dependent on the alcohol, but you were emotionally dependent on the alcohol. And when I got sober, I was the same way. The worst withdrawals I've ever had were when I left the bar in Spain. I had audio hallucinations. Those physical withdrawal symptoms are actually dangerous. I probably should have gone to a detox center. But this time around, yeah, I had a little bit of shakes, a little bit of sweating. Um, Couldn't sleep for 72 hours, which were definitely physical withdrawal symptoms. But we are all emotionally dependent on the alcohol. The next thing you said, it wasn't so much you were taking steps backward. You were going side to side. and, And it just means we're stuck. And I was stuck for a long time, probably about a decade. And getting unstuck is hard. And the third thing I want to comment on is you're identifying yourself as a non-drinker. Labels suck, right? And I have broken up with the word alcoholic plenty of times. And that's how I identify myself right now is just what you said. I identify myself as somebody who doesn't drink the poison. I don't drink the Kool-Aid anymore. That's it. I don't like the word alcoholic because that has a negative connotation, a bad stigma to it. We don't say to somebody who smokes cigarettes that they're a cigarette-aholic or a cocaine-aholic. I don't think it's fair. Why do we define an alcoholic because it's a drug as well? So, David, that's huge that you're, you label yourself as somebody who simply doesn't drink the poison. And that's, that's as easy as it should be. And another thing I want to comment upon is the case of the efforts, right? And it sounded like you had a ton of the case of the efforts. And my journey paralleled yours a lot. Yeah, there's about a year where I would get, you know, I get 40 days, then I drink. And those days got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then when I finally did get sober, I had a different case of the efforts where I think it was like day 20. I said, you know what? Fuck it. I might as well just keep moving forward because that old way of life, it's right there. <laughs> and if I drink tomorrow, David, it's back. Like that old way of life is just waiting for me. It's just one drink away. But I still, I'm saying the fuck it's but a good way now. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I've got three years. I might as well keep going forward. Like I don't want to go back now. And if you experienced kind of like a similar fuck it, it's almost a different type of fuck it, like a rocket fuel. Yeah, that, I know. I love that. I love this concept of you taking ownership of, of the phrase effort, right? So as opposed to it ruling your life, you now, you rule it. Yeah, I don't know that I've I, – I definitely am not uh, – I have not felt this feeling of screw it, I might as well keep going on. And I would even take out the screw it, like this whole, well, you've come this far, and because you've come this far, you might as well keep going forward, right? I, someone in Cafe RE the other day said – I think the phrase was you, you suit up and you show up. Sometimes you just got to kind of motor through the day. I've not had that experience yet. I, you know, I feel like that day is going to come. 
<laughs> right. So number one, I, I am I am fully prepared and braced for that day is going to come where it's going to be a hard day, and I'm going to have to just suit up, show up, and I'm going to have to own this effort and say, dude, you have so much. Look at that counter, right? The counter's humongous now. <laughs> you've got you've got you got to add one to it. You can't subtract all of it. But I but I'm as best I can. I'm trying to balance. This was a great distillation of the entire retreat experience for me. Good was, word. Yeah, well, yeah, that's actually maybe it's a bad word, but uh, uh, you know, coming down, we did that night hike, right? And so we're coming back down, coming back down the mountain, and we, I was talking to one of the the retreat members, and we just sort of boiled it down to you've got to have pride in what you've accomplished thus far, right? And you've got to be hopeful for the future. Behind all of that is sort of positive self-image. I am doing this, not right. I, I, not mm-hmm. I can do that. I am doing this. You got to be pride, prideful, and, and and be hopeful. But you have to balance that with a sort of a healthy fear. And I'm gonna use that word fear very carefully because that can teeter totter into a bad place pretty quickly. But sort of a healthy caution, if you will, around relapse or that effort feeling where you might let the effort control you rather than you control the effort. So that was a really meaningful discussion for me to say. I can be proud, I can be hopeful, but I also have to be cautious because as we learned on that hike, we heard two tales of relapse. And sometimes the relapses were at three months or nine months, and sometimes they were at two years and five years. So the relapse knows no boundaries, right? They don't care what the number is. And so (laughs) what's the funny phrase that, you know, while you work on your sobriety, your addiction is doing (laughs) push-ups, you know, so I think you have to have a there's got to be some caution and some awareness that relapse is a thing, and and it is something that I'm going to confront someday. And I, you know, I hope when I meet that challenge, that that effort goes exactly the way that you're describing, which is I'm going to use this effort to my benefit and not to my detriment. That that's sort of that that's the the mental preparation that I that I do maybe every day, maybe twice a day. Right, I, I remind myself that that's out there. There, there's a bogey out there. I need, I need to continue to be positive, prideful, hopeful. Right, acknowledge what I've done, but I need to be, be aware that that's out there, and you, you're going to have to confront it. So there's, there's a bogey out there. Somebody just watched Top Gun, and I'm going to use that one moving forward <laughs> on the podcast. It might have been, it might have been your aviator sunglasses that you wore. Uh, maybe yeah, don't get the a fake mustache. Yeah. <laughs> so. I think the reprieve that you got when you listen to the podcast, and I know a lot of people get a similar reprieve, is their strength in numbers. And doing this alone, you can't do it. You've heard that a hundred times on this podcast. You can't do it. And you were mentioned, you know, suit up and show up when that day comes. It's not so much like a day where alcohol comes knocking on the door. It's just when life happens. You you, you wreck a right. car. You know, a friend passes away. I mean, that life it just happens, and that's going to happen regardless. But knowing that you're not alone and the strength in numbers is is the bulk of recovery. It's that's AA. It's a program. It's a fellowship. Doesn't matter which program or fellowship you follow. You just can't do it alone, and that's it. And, and I know from the retreat that you met a lot of people who have the same life goal. How has that affected you moving forward with uh, with surrounding yourself with other like-minded individuals? Yeah, good question. So again, you know, I, I described it when I started this journey. I, I didn't have any tools. I sort of had no institutional knowledge of what I was getting myself into. And it was through your podcast that 
mean, frankly, it was through your podcast I was introduced to AA in a meaningful way, right? I had a sort of a made-up version of what AA was in my brain, but I didn't know sort of any of the nuts and bolts. And so through your podcast and just hearing the repeated references to it, coming to the retreat, and, and we had a breakout session where we specifically talked about it, and we specifically talked about, you know, some of the activities and the accountabilities and the community and all of that stuff. So I learned a lot through that process. And I, by the way, I culminated by going to an AA meeting in Bozeman, like the, like a day or two later, I uh, went oh. with my friend. He, he's active in the community. And so I went to my first meeting that, there. That is so but, cool. Yeah, it was, it was cool. Uh, absolutely what I learned through the retreat was that this is something where community helps. And I think what re- I think part of the rocket fuel formula, if you will, was that I was on it. I was on Cafe RE. You can go back and look at my posts. You know, I don't, I'm not prolific by any means, but, you know, I put a couple of sob stories out there and they got clicked on and liked and commented on. And I commented on some folks' uh, situations, but it wasn't until I hit the retreat and I was, I had face to face and just heard these stories, not, not heard. I saw the stories unfolding and I saw the emotion and I saw the hurt and I saw the variety of it. I think that's, you know, one of the things that really struck me was just how much variety there was in the experience. Some people had extremely low lows and some people had, in terms of consequences, and some had, you know, really terrible backstories of how they even got there in the first place. And it was just hearing all of that, just it was a humongous light bulb went off in my brain that said, I've got to be more active and less isolating might be the best way, the better way to say it, the, the one that's maybe a little more friendly to this to our crowd, right, is there's a whole lot of talk about isolating, maybe being introverted. I certainly follow those patterns. And so one of the things that I've done since the retreat, right, is first of all, I've stayed in touch uh, with several people from the retreat. We just did a, we did our own sort of web meeting this past Friday night, and it was great to see everyone's face again and, and kind of just reconnect and talk that through so things. Cool. The other piece is that, you know, I have connected into Cafe RE much more in a real way since the retreat. So I'm now, if I was just kind of a observer, passive user of Cafe RE before, like I've made a commitment to be there in, you know, sort of very present in there. And I'm on the cusp of it just hit me. I was reading last night. There happens to be two people in Atlanta who are on Cafe RE. I'm going to reach out to them and say, hey, let's meet right for coffee because I think the in-person thing helps. So those, those three things are really what that community piece is about for me. Uh, you know, AA is not in my picture right now, but I'm certainly not opposed to it in any way. I'm a fairly busy guy, so I'm going to throw a, an excuse or two. So I, I've not quite mentally figured out how to make room for that in my life right now. But that's really my only excuse. The meeting I went to was phenomenal because it was, again, it was just a different version of our retreat. There were people sharing. There were people struggling. There were people hugging each other, right? So I, I saw that and, and I, it's, it's like a, it's like you're, you know, you're, you're out in the, in, in nature, maybe you're walking down a country road. Let's, let's say that, use this analogy. You're, you're out on a country road and you see four or five farms, right? But three of them have these big fences around them. Well, the AA fence, you know, the AA field is this big wide open green space that you can see running up the side of the mountain, right? So it's the thing out there. I know it's there. I know it's really good. And it's one of those things where I do know that at some point that needs to be part of my program simply simply because of the community aspect of it. You can, because the retreat has shown me, right, that hook, line, and sinker, that you, can't, you cannot do it alone. And that just hearing the stories, seeing the stories, that's really a key element of the rocket fuel that moves you forward. 
I agree 100% well said on that one. And, and David, Peru is going to happen on 10-12-2018. You're 42 years old. Your sobriety date's 8-14-2017. There's an amazing correlation here. I, I was just adding it up, looking at it, and you're, you're, Love it. your guy, the numbers. Can you see it? Can you see it? When I, when I get on top of that mountain, there might even be you know a blue light that strikes me dead right out of the sky. It'd be <laughs> awesome. Just go out wow. in a blaze of glory. I was kidding. I couldn't find any correlation with the numbers, <laughs> <laughs> but but let's use that as sobriety fuel to keep you moving forward. Be 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 sober when we're at Machu Picchu. That's going to be a phenomenal goal for both of us. You know, I'm not out of the woods yet either. Like you said, relapses can happen at any time. They happen way before the first drink. We both need to say connected with the community. And David, we have hit the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I am. All right, let's do this. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? <laughs> you can insert any vicious hangover here. I don't, missing a flight out of Vegas after a night of tearing it up. How about that? Head throbbing, having to rearrange flights and child care back in Atlanta while head throbbing. That was, that's terrible. Oh, that sucks. That sounds miserable. Yeah. Next question, we've all heard of the aha moment. What was your oh shit moment indicating that you couldn't control your drinking? So that was when I, just, when I figured out that my, the unit of measure of drinking was no longer like two beers. It was a six-pack, right? <laughs> um, it would, no longer was three glasses of wine. It was a whole bottle of wine. Bottle. And by the, by the time you move to, I'm going to get two bottles of wine, well, I'm going to drink both bottles of wine. There's no, there's no one and a half, right? So I, I remember specifically doing some unit of measure kind of calculations, and I, when I realized that it was like entire units, I was like, you're, you're screwed, man. Oh, so. <laughs> Dave, with roughly 45 days of sobriety, what's your plan moving forward? You know, again, I would uh, say that my number one sort of internal dialogue is I'm no longer like that. I'm no longer that person. Uh, be, and to be proud of that and to be hopeful for that, <laughs> balanced with some caution for relapse. So that's like a sort of a, uh, a, a almost a chant that I give myself multiple times a day. I'm plugging back in with my therapist. I would say that um, if anyone out there is wondering or saying I would never talk to a therapist, I think I think talking to an LCSW is amazing. It's, she had helped me uh, significantly through my divorce. Um, I'd, I'd taken some time off. In fact, I'd taken time off in this last year. That was a very critical year, and it was a mistake on my part. And so, uh, again, one of the things that uh, one of the revelations I had coming back down the mountain uh, from the Bozeman retreat was I need to plug back in with my therapist, and I've done that, and it's been a it's been a good bump. And then lastly, you know, staying connected with community, as we talked about a while ago. I think, you know, continuing to call and text and plug in uh, the Cafe RE again, being more present there, being being a real member versus a passive member, and then obviously something about Peru uh, about a year from now. So that's gonna be great. Love it. And in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received, David? <laughs> I, I really, I do, I do really love the uh, you know while you're working on your sobriety, uh, your addiction is doing push-ups. So th- just the, all the stories of relapse I heard were extremely instructive to me, and I think that they were, I think they were timed just perfectly in in terms of you know I was ten to fourteen days in. This was longer than I've ever come. And here I have a bunch of people saying, it doesn't matter how long you've got, this thing is out there. And it was just very eye-opening and very instructive. And I'm so appreciative to have heard that message mm-hmm. at that point. I think maybe <laughs> to, to, to contrast that, had I heard that message 
a couple of days prior to becoming sober or a couple of just like single digit days into sobriety, I don't think I would have heard it the same way. I think I needed to be beyond that. Annie Grace always talks about the 10 day, right? 10 days and alcohol is out of your system. I think I needed to be beyond that particular point. And then I heard it and it resonated very strongly with me. And what parting piece of guidance can you give the listeners who are thinking about getting sober or are in early sobriety? Well, your, I've got a couple here, just a couple quick ones. Your litmus test of have you ever asked yourself if you have a problem with alcohol? That is the test. So if yep. I, I know, I know, that, you know, I know I did that, you know, hundreds of times over a decade. So just own that, right? I never, I, I, again, I was, I would say it and then I would, do, I would crack a joke to try to get out of that situation. I think, I think you need to own that litmus test, own the result and then make a decision, make an active decision about what you want to do, right? The active decision might be, F it, I'm not going there, I'm going to continue down the path I'm on, right? But don't let it be, I'm going to crack a joke and escape this situation, right? Own the decision. The other one is just, you know, the things that resonated with me with your podcast, which was sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? Just the, the management of chaos that we all endure as we introduce chaos into our evening routine, which then bleeds over into our morning hangovers, into all of the other issues that alcohol introduces into your life. It's just amazing what frees up when you get rid of that particular part of the chaos, and all of a sudden your CPU and your brain, it gets to do like constructive stuff rather than management of chaos. So uh, own that decision around the, the litmus test and then own up to being sick and tired of being sick and tired, like really reflect and, and identify if you're in that situation. And those are, those are two keys to kind of getting, getting motivated and getting out the door. I love the line management of chaos. And that is, that summarizes sick and tired of being sick and tired in a nutshell, because chaos, if you try to manage that, it's exhausting. And that's what drinking was for me for a long time. And before totally. we depart, David, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line. Uh, well, we're referencing my unit of measure statement earlier. Uh, you might be an alcoholic if your favorite drink is, quote, lots of it, end quote. <laughs> I love it. David, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to hanging out with you in the Southern Hemisphere in Peru. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. It is going to be awesome. Thanks for having me. Now, I got the idea to cover step one at the Recovery Elevator Retreat. We broke off into groups of males and females, and a couple people who were seasoned veterans in AA, they led kind of a workshop or a Q&A on AA, and I found out that a lot of us did not know much about AA. So I'm not going to do the next 12 episodes through all the steps, but I think randomly once a month, once every two months, I'm going to sprinkle in a step and cover it, and it's great review for me. Again, I probably owe my life to that program, a fantastic program. I say the worst part about the program is the people, but there are phenomenal people in the program. Okay, Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 